we're going to give you, I'm going to give you a lot of information that um, you can follow. You should have some notes that you received inside your bulletin. So um, you can follow along there. Also, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, if you pull up that app, YouVersion Bible app, if you don't know what it is, don't worry about it. Um, and then if you go to the, uh, the lines on the bottom, bottom right side uh, where it says more, and if you click on that, and then you click on events, uh, my mine of course is very slow right now for some unknown reason. If you click on events, and you'll see Living Grace Foursquare Church, you click on that, and then you'll get all my notes, or at least a good portion of them that you can um, you can add to that, you can edit it, and so course, mine's not coming up right now, so, right? It did it over there in that seat, but it's not doing it now. Let me try that one more time, because now, now, I'm, now I'm a little bit... Oh, there it is right there. Living Grace Foursquare Church. All right? Great. Let's get into the Word this morning. So years ago, and I've shared this story with you, years ago uh, when I was in youth ministry, we would take kids into environments that were hostile environments to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mall. <laughs> Uh, the mall is a hostile environment if you're going there to share the gospel. And uh, so we would do stuff like that. And I really should have trained up the kids much, much more than I did. Uh, really, really should have spent more time equipping them, getting them ready. And I felt like I spent a little bit of time of that. But I was so passionate about it, I just assumed that that passion would rub off on them. Some, yeah, some not so much. I didn't even know what an introvert was 20 years ago, Okay. Some people, that was incredibly difficult. Other youth just loved it. Anyhow, uh, we walked into one particular store, and I wanted to kind of give them an example of how to do this. And so I was talking to the salesman, blah, blah, blah. And I said, so, uh, listen, man, do you go to church, or are you a believer in the Bible or anything like that? He goes, no, 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 not at all. I don't believe in that stuff. And he kind of went on and gave all of his reasons why. And I said, well, let me ask you this question. How do you, how do you establish truth? In other words, what's right or what's wrong? And he says, well, I believe that right or wrong is whatever you make it. I said, so let me get this straight. What you believe is that you can kind of define truth for yourself. You can make it up. And if it's, if it's, if it's right for you, it's right for you, uh, I guess. That's what you're saying? He goes, yeah, absolutely. I go, okay. So, so let me ask you this. If, you, if I really, really like the rims on your car, and, and for me, in my truth definition, it is perfectly okay to steal and, and, and pillage. So I see your rims. I wait for you to park. You go in the store to do your shift. I steal your rims. And in my truth set, that's okay. Would you be okay with that? And he goes, I, I guess I'd have to say that would be okay. And I went, really? You have got to be kidding me. And I said, so let me take it up another notch. I said, Nazi, and by now... All the kids are standing around with their mouths wide open like, and there's people from the store that are there. People are walking by going, what's going on in here? And I never meant for any of that to happen. I was just trying to show the kids one way that you might enter into the conversation with someone. We weren't arguing or raising our voices. So then I kind of said, okay, so let me ask you this. Nazi Germany, was it right or was it wrong? Six million Jews exterminated. Oh, that was so wrong. You, there's, oh, man, there's absolutely, I go, wait a minute, time out. You just told me the truth was whatever you make it and however you define it. And then you also said that you cannot judge anyone else's truth set. And so I said, Nazi Germany killed 6 million Jews, tried to take over really the world, but Europe would have been fine, and you said it's okay. And I said this, who are you to judge those people that what they believed was wrong? 
I go, you can't judge them because you just told me truth was whatever you make it. And this is what he said. And I can almost quote it. And it was a long time ago, probably 20 years ago. He said, he took a deep breath, and he said, well, I guess I can't say what they did was wrong. And I turned to my kids, and I said, everybody talks about a world like that, but nobody really wants to live in it. Today, I'm going to give you 10 reasons why you can trust your Bible. Because it turns out that the Bible is absolute truth. Truth has to work for all people, all places, all times. All people, all places, all times. It can't be cultural. It can't work for one particular people group. It can't work in Switzerland, but not in America. It has to work today just as it worked a thousand years ago, and it still has to apply and be relevant a thousand years from now. If it changes, then it cannot be truth. Saturday night, I was having a conversation with a man from Pakistan about these things. We didn't have too much time to talk, but one of the things that he said, he said, well, you believe that Jesus is the final prophet. And we believe that Muhammad is the final prophet. And I said, so your truth keeps changing because if Jesus is the final prophet, so we believe that, we believe God's word is final, but you believe Muhammad is, how are we to know that another one isn't going to come? And how can truth ever be established if it depends on who the latest prophet is? Truth can't change. He also went on to say that, well, you Americans, you all believe in Jesus. I went, time out. I go, no, we don't. He goes, yes, you do. I go, no, we don't. Listen, what are you doing, man? You've only been in this country three months, and you're telling me about it? Listen to what I'm telling you. America is not a Christian nation. We were birthed, and we were born on Christian principles, which are Judeo-Christian. I didn't say that to him because I didn't think, you know, that would, he'd understand Judeo-Christian. So I tried to explain it to him contextually, and I said, we are, we are, We are based on that, but it's not who we are. Have you read the newspaper? We're not a Christian. Now, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of expression, freedom of public demonstration. Yeah, we have all of those. But those are values that are based on the Bible, the Word of God. That's what makes our nation so great, and that's what makes our Constitution so great, is the foundation of it. Okay? Tried to explain that to him. I'm not sure that he got it, but further conversation to be... Uh, happening on that one, right? Hopefully. So today, I'm going to give you a lot of information. You got notes. You got the app. Fill in the blank. You can take this thing right here, and you can actually put it in your Bible or take a picture of it on your phone. And when you enter into conversations with people, you can reference this. You can reference some of the things. I wanted to give you something practical, and it's what we're going to do each week. Okay, fair enough. Are you with me? Because I could go over again if I need to. We're good? Okay. Ten reasons why you can trust your Bible. Well, you've probably heard what some of these critics have said. Uh, you've heard things like, well, the Bible is full of errors. Or the Bible was corrupted by the white man and the Jews. Or uh, the Bible is only correct as it is interpreted correctly. 
or you can't trust the Bible, according to the Jesus Seminar, which were liberal theologians who said most of what Jesus said really didn't happen, but they had no basis for why they said that. Uh, The Bible was written by men, which is what the humanists say, and how can you trust anything written by men? The Bible is mythological, uh, says a liberal theologian, George Frazier, actually more than just a liberal theologian. Uh, the, The Bible manuscripts are corrupt, which Islam says, and they've never been able to prove exactly how they are corrupt, or they've never shown us any originals that they could say, see, based on these originals, it is again. So the New Testament in particular is corrupt is what they would tell you. So I'm sure that you've heard these things over and over again. Okay, so let's remember and let's establish the foundation today for the next seven weeks of teaching because we're always going to go back to the Word of God, the words of Jesus, the red letter edition, and the person of Jesus. Because God's character is always tied to his promises. And that's always tied to a person. And so we are going to always get back to the word of God. And we're going to get back to Jesus. The logos or the expression of God as John chapter 1 verse 1 says. So first of all, let's get this straight. God doesn't make mistakes and he cannot err. God cannot make a mistake. If he makes a mistake, he's not God. And the Bible says that his word is truth in John 17, 17. It is inspired text. And I'm going to give you some some, uh, ammunition as to why we believe that to be true. It says in 2 Timothy 3, as Richard read earlier, I'm going to give you the uh, uh, amplified Bible. And the Greek word for uh, God breathe is Theonustos, which means means the breath of God, God breathed. To those who would say the Bible was written by mere men, uh, Paul would address his young protege Timothy and say, all Scripture is God breathed. Everybody say all. All Scripture is God breathed, which means all Scripture is inspired by God. Now, let me be honest with you. Not all Scripture is inspiring. Is it okay to say that? I mean, when you get through the genealogies, don't you think, ah, okay, no, no, and so on, so big. There's a reason for that, and there are people who really, and there's lots of good stuff in there, but that's not necessarily inspiring. Not necessarily. Is it okay to say that? Some of you are looking at me strangely like I just said something wrong. It's not, but it is all inspired by God. It is theonustos. It is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration, okay? And... Because it is our source is God himself who used men as instruments, is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for uh, correction of error and restoration to obedience, for training in righteousness, that is learning to live in conformity with God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage, and so it's, that's what the Word of God is. That's truth, people, right there. And here's why. Because everything that God does has purpose and meaning so that the man of God may be complete and proficient, outfitted, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay? There is the foundation for what we're talking about. Uh, the Word of God is God breathed. Okay? It's important to note that. So, here's the logic. By the way, I have to give Richard Cromwick, if you remember him, uh, Richard Cromwick is a mad apologist, scientist, 
weird guy. I mean, he eats, sleeps. For those of you who know Richard, he doesn't mind me saying that he's a mad at Christian apologist, scientist, weird dude. But I mean, this guy, this is a guy who has, is reading five books on apologetics all at the same time. Okay, I mean, he's crazy, and I love him because if you want, if you got to go to an apology, uh, in, into a hostile environment, man, I'm bringing Richard Cromwick with me. By the way, he's going to come later on in our series and talk about uh, Genesis or evolution, and he's going to give a presentation on that, so we're excited about that. So I've leaned heavily on, on, uh, on, on his notes for this, so I want to give him full credit. He goes, and if you know Richard, he goes, you don't have to give me credit. I just want the truth out. I go, okay, relax, man. It's all good. So you got to meet Richard. He's, I love that. I love him. I do. Here's the logic. God cannot err, right? God doesn't make mistakes. So the Bible is the word of God. Therefore, the Bible cannot err. The Bible must be accurate. It must withstand all of the different disciplines of history and the discipline of archaeology and the discipline of logic and all of that stuff, okay? So there's our logic. All right, so reason number one, are you ready? You can fill in the blank if you want to. Jesus said the Bible can be trusted. Jesus quotes the Old Testament. And by Jesus quoting the Old Testament, he gives validity to it. So uh, whatever Jesus, who is God, teaches is true. John chapter 1, verse 1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and that Word was Jesus Christ. So Jesus, for example, many people don't believe in the whole story of Jonah. I thoroughly, 100% believe in it because Jesus quoted Jonah. And so, therefore, that gives validity to it. Resurrection, the miracles confirm that Jesus is truth. Romans chapter 1, verse 4, uh, he did things that no one else can do. And one of the things that I did early in my Christianity was I wanted to kind of have a little more information to confirm that Jesus really, really rose from the dead because I figured, you know what, if that's not absolutely rock solid, then, then, then this whole thing is it's not worth it. And, and I just kind of walked. There, there's lots of good material. Uh, Josh McDowell has a new book uh, with his son, Sean McDowell, on evidence that demands a verdict. So you can look that up if you want to know more of that. But Jesus said the Bible can be trusted. That's good enough for me. John chapter 14, verse 6. Here's what Jesus says about his words. It says, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you uh, of everything that I have told you. And so we can trust the words of Jesus because Jesus, who is truth and who always speaks truth, said that I'm going to send when I leave the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of what? The things that I said, which are true. So we can trust the Old Testament because Jesus quoted it, and we can trust the New Testament because Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come and remind us of all the things that he said. All right? So here's some more evidence of that, the Absolute quantity of biblical manuscripts is more than adequate to reconstruct the originals. Manuscripts in the form of early date copies, uh, as well as letters that the church fathers wrote to one another. Uh, Reason number two continued, uh, of all of the ancient books, the Bible has more copies 
than any other book. I'm going to give you some examples. That's important when you're trying to determine if something is original or legitimate or follows the original closely. You have to know that there's many, many copies of that, right? The more copies you have, the easier it is to prove. So there are some 5,800 plus Greek copies. If you took all of the manuscript evidence that is available, according to my friend Richard Cromwick, he said that the, the most of any ancient document would be about four feet high. If you took all the ancient scrolls and scripts and letters and, and you piled them up, it'd be about four feet high, he says. But he goes, the Bible has evidence that is two and a half miles high. That's what he said. There's that much evidence. Not to mention 19,000 copies. Okay, so we're over 24, 25,000 ancient documents and manuscripts. So keep that number in mind. Plus the fact that the letters that the church uh, fathers wrote, the quotes that they sent to one another could reconstruct the entire New Testament. Now here's the thing that I want you to see. Don't get weirded out by this. This is in your hand because I want you to have this evidence. If you look on the top right there, Woo, look at that. Got my little pointer here. Uh, Plato uh, Dialogues, okay? Date of the original, 4 B.C. Earliest manuscript is about 900 years after, uh, 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 well, the earliest manuscript was 900 A.D. So from the time of the very first one, uh, the original, to the time of uh, uh, the co- earliest copy was 1,250 years, okay? So they don't have the original, but they have a copy that was 1,250 years later, right? Nobody disputes that Plato wrote that. Nobody does. And by the way, I think there's only like seven copies of that. Uh, yeah, seven copies. Seven. Seven. That's it. And no one disputes that. No one stays up all night and creates a whole seminar to prove that Plato didn't actually write that, Okay? Contrast that to the, to the New Testament. If you look across the bottom there, New Test, Greek New Testament, okay, date of the original, 45 A.D. to 100 A.D., the earliest manuscript or copies, 117 to 325, and some say much, much uh, closer to that. So here's the original. Here's from the time of the originals, which we do not have, to the earliest copies, okay, three. 30 to 300 years, as composed to 1,250 years. Okay, so I want you to just get that. Does that, you all understand that? There's a massive difference between the two, okay? So, uh, as far as uh, these ancient manuscripts, the Ketef Hinnom Silver Scrolls, written about 600 B.C., 200 years before the end of the Old Testament, that document there is a copy along with others of the priestly blessing out of the book of Numbers. So they're able to look at that and compare it to what's in the Word of God and go, hey, this is pretty accurate. New Testament, 30 years after the end of the New Testament, John Ryland's fragment right there, uh, written about 125 A.D. So the manuscript evidence is pretty much overwhelming. Now for those who say, well, the Bible's been corrupted, You have to ask this question, what's your basis for saying that? What kind of evidence do you have? You can't just say that the Bible has been corrupted if you don't have evidence to prove it. Look at these Greek scholars and what they say about the authenticity of those ancient manuscripts. 
Okay, how about this? 99.5% accurate. 98.33% accurate. 99.8, you get the numbers, right? A.T. Robertson, Greek theologian, says it's 90, it's almost 100% accurate. Based on the copies, the manuscripts, not to mention the Dead Sea Scrolls that prove that our book of Isaiah is, is, is a, almost a carbon copy, all right? And so the evidence is overwhelming. I mean, there's no other ancient document that's anywhere close to what we have in our Bible, all right? So here you go, another example, Homer's Iliad. There are 643 copies. Everybody go, whoa, that's pretty good, right? About 500 years uh, scholars estimate about 95% accurate. Why am I pointing on this when none of you are seeing this? You know, I, I just realized that. I'm, this is working great for me. I just, I, okay, let me help you out here. There we go. How about that? Right? Isn't that funny? I'm just having my way. Like, whoo, this is great. Y'all see that right there? You're like, what's he talking about? No one said anything. You guys are so kind. First service would have, uh, we can't see that, Pastor. What's, what are you pointing to? Anyway. 483 copies, 5,800 plus Greek copies, over 24,000 if you count everything, 30 to 300 years, 90, I mean, come on, it's not even close, 643 copies, uh, if you add everything up, over 24,000 copies, okay? Here's reason number five why you can trust your Bible there are features and elements of this story that actually go against what would be true. Like if you were trying to write this script, they say the Bible was written by men. Well, then why would they put all this stuff in there? First of all, the testimony of women. Understand that in the first century, women, their, their, um, they weren't even, their testimony wasn't even admissible in court. Well, we have all these women who testify. Sorry. Uh, th their value was nothing. Nothing. Uh, they, th there, was, there was, in fact, the Roman uh, husband was considered a god. And he could do whatever he want in his home. Whatever he wanted. He could kill his wife. And there'd be no recourse. Uh, he could kick her out and say, get out of here. I don't care about you. There's no, there was no place to go. Isn't it interesting how people think the New Testament constrains women, and yet the, Jesus actually dignified women? I mean, he had conversations with women that no one else would talk to, didn't he? Multiple times. Check it out. The testimony of women. If you were trying to create this story, that's counterproductive. We've got to leave women out of this, okay? Who were the first evangelists? The first ones? It was the ladies. Who were the first one at the tomb? The ladies, right? Uh, uh, Peter and John came later, and they didn't believe it. How about the triumph of Christ's enemies? If you were going to write this script, Rome would not win. Guess what? Rome won, <laughs> or so to speak. How about the, how fearful the disciples were, the failure of Peter and the denial of the disciples, even Judas, who was a turncoat and who, who actually, uh, I mean, if you're going to write a story about a great leader, you're certainly not going to have some accountant turn him in or some political figure turn him in, right? Uh, turn him over to his enemies. And you certainly aren't going to have this great leader crucified. I mean, how does this story work? The man dies. Oh, yeah, but three days later. And how about, 
how those who were closest to him didn't understand it. I mean, what historical figure, what historical religious figure uh, can you think of that has those kinds of things stacked against them? It's, it's counterproductive if, in fact, it's true. And that just leads to the validity of it. Reason number six, the Bible testifies on its own behalf. I love it when someone says, well, you can't use the Bible to prove the Bible. You know what my answer to that is? Well, then you can't use the Bible to disprove the Bible. What? Right. I mean, of course I can use the Bible to prove the Bible. The Bible proves itself. It stands on its own behalf. And here's the thing. The Bible is innocent until proven guilty. There are people that come to us and say, well, what about the, you know, you, you got to, no, no, no. You prove it's wrong and then get back to me, you know. How about the mythological tone of the time? And Peter says it so amazingly. I love this. 2 Peter 1.16, we did not follow cunningly devised fables. We, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty. I love that. You know, in, a, in an era where all the writing was, oh, so... Uh, uh, filled with fables and folklore and, and, and stories. Uh, Peter uh, uh, comes against that and says, no, no, that's not what we wrote to you. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you Acts chapter 1. Uh, just a sec, take me a second to get there. Yeah, here we go, right here. It, uh, uh, it says, uh, uh, the, uh, Dr. Luke writing, The first account I composed, Theo, uh, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Uh, after he had by, by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering. How? By many convincing proofs. Appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Yeah, see, uh, Peter says, uh, you know, we, we're, not, we're not writing to you something that someone else saw. We saw him. We were there. We witnessed it with our own eyes. And then you look at Dr. Luke in the book of Acts, his vocabulary. It's very clear that that point is being made. Okay, so reason number seven, the Bible is scientifically accurate. Of course you've heard that. Well, I believe in science. I don't believe in the Bible. To which I say, hey, that is great that you're a scientist because it turns out the Bible is very scientific. What? Oh, yeah, things like this. How about that the earth free floats in space? How did Job know that? How did Job know that the, the earth wasn't hanging on to something or there weren't animals holding it up as some of the culture believed? How did he know that? How about that the earth is round Columbus, you didn't have to prove that. We already knew it. Isaiah said so. Okay? How about the, you, the incalculable number of stars? Uh, how about the universe had a beginning? Ah, yeah, there are many, many scientists that are starting to get to the point where they believe, you know what? It all had a beginning, right? Even those who believe in the Big Bang will at least agree with you that the universe had a beginning. And we absolutely believe that the universe had a beginning. In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth, right? Um, which brings into the fact, if the universe had a beginning and it was designed 
by God. God intelligently de designed the universe, which brings into effect cause and effect. If something is created, there must be a cause, there must be an effect, there must be a reason. See, we believe the universe has purpose because we believe in an intelligent designer who created it all. God intelligently designed the universe. How about the universe is expanding? Did you know that's in the Bible? Scientists have proven that true. We knew that long. Isaiah knew that. Isaiah's like, y'all are just figuring this out? Okay. How about the usable energy is wearing out? Entropy, the second law of thermodynamics. It's right there in the book of Psalms. How about creation is according to its own kind? Genesis 1, 24 and 25. Years ago, we had a debate here on this stage about that whole with, with so a biologist. A mat, guy had a master's degree in biology, and we had some, some, some uh, 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 other people, some Christian guys that were debating. And it was that whole issue of biology. And this is one of the things that Richard Cromwick is going to speak to us loudly on, is that evolution is trying to find this tr trans-species animal that, that proves that, yeah, it was once a dinosaur, uh, but now it's a bird. And see, that it, you can't prove evolution because it's not happening today. They're not, uh, we're not evolving. I heard someone once say that, oh, yes, like in the evolutionary process, for example, human, our lung capacity is increasing. And I'm like, great, you're still a human, okay? I mean, they say, well, well, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, this particular animal is taking on this characteristics. Giraffes are getting longer next. Okay, guess what? It's still a giraffe, y'all. I mean, help me out. Okay, you know, you don't have, you, there's no cross, there's no transitionary species between a dog and a cat. It's a dog or it's a cat. And if you don't believe that, put them in the same room, see what happens. Now, I, I, I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm just trying to give you some, hey, the Bible tells us everything is, and, and then all of the, the, the human evolutionary process and, and the hoax of all of these you know, Nebraska man, oh, it was, a, it was a, actually, we found a tooth. There it is. There's the, the Cro-Magnum. No, that, that was an ancient pig. What's wrong with you? Right? And I don't, I, I, I know, I'm probably not even saying that correctly, but, but that, that right there. Okay, the Bible is very scientifically accurate. Important to know that. Reason number eight, the Bible records accurate prophecy. By the way, we could take these eight, we could take these, these 10 reasons and we could do a 10-part series on each one. We could do a, a couple-part series on each one of them. This right here to me is, is, is you got to understand, what you hold in your hand is unlike any other ancient book. And if the first seven reasons didn't convince you of that, let this one convince you, the prophecies the predictions, the things that the Bible say will happen, which we absolutely know were written before they happened. Because some people try to say, well, they wrote that after it happened. No, that's not true. That is not true. See, you don't know, your, you don't know what you're talking about, right? I mean, some examples, and there are hundreds and hundreds of these. The prophesied Messiah, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3.15, he's coming. Yeah, the, 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 the Messiah is going to come. How about Jesus born of a virgin? Written in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. How about, how do you get to pick the lineage that you come from? Well, it turns out Jesus comes from the lineage of David. So now you know why those um, 
genealogies are so important because it was important that it all got preserved so that when the Messiah did come, they could trace his lineage back to David. And by the way, David's lineage, uh, uh, Jesus's lineage traces back to David both through Joseph and Mary. It's fascinating. You don't get to pick that. Well, they, 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 they arranged all this stuff. Oh, did they arrange his crucifixion too? Okay, did they arrange his resurrection? Did they arrange that he came from the family of, of King David? Did they arrange he was born? How do you arrange that? Anyhow, entered Jerusalem on a donkey, sold for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus would be cut off, pierced, wounded, spit upon, and bruised. Isaiah 53, if you're talking to folks who are Jewish and they have this book, you might have them read it and just ask the question, who were they talking about? Who is this servant to come? Who is that? Well, all the evidence points to Jesus that the Messiah would be resurrected, Psalm 1610. And this is one of my favorites. One of my favorites, Isaiah chapter 45 prophesies. There's a king, king, God calls him by name. 150 to 200 years before he was born, depending on which, which historian you believe, he calls him, you, Cyrus, my servant. And I'm sure people were reading Isaiah's scroll going, who is he talking about? Oh, until King Cyrus came. King Cyrus, I think it was Jeremiah who actually read the script of Isaiah to King Cyrus. How about that? And the very things he was doing, he thought he was doing it all. And he reads the scroll and goes, oh, God called me out 150 years ago. That's fascinating. Fascinating. There's, a, there's an entire discipline of Bible study devoted to all this kinds of stuff. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Ah, reason number nine. The Bible is consistent with documents outside the Bible. Things that we know to be historical. The writings of Josephus and other, other people who weren't even followers of Jesus. Here we go. Whoops. Let me go back to that. Jesus lived during the, the reign of Tiberius Caesar. He lived a, vir he, a virtuous life. He was a, a wonder worker. A brother named James. He was, uh, he was acclaimed as to be Messiah. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Uh, crucified on the eve of Passover. Darkness and earthquake occurred when he died. Disciples believed he rose from the dead. Disciples willing to die for their belief. Jesus spread, uh, uh, gospel spread to Rome and worshipped as God. That's all, that's all consistent with documents outside of the Bible. Historical stuff that is there, okay? Reason number 10. Boy, we got there quick, didn't we? I know. Are you overloaded yet? Oh, my goodness. Hang with me. We're almost done. Archaeology confirms the biblical data. Thousands of discoveries to date. Uh, here's some of the things that archaeology has confirmed. At least 30 persons in the New Testament confirmed. 60 persons in the Old Testament confirmed. 60 confirmed details in the Gospel of John this is archaeology, 80 confirmed historical details in the books of Acts. And then, uh, you know, archaeology is kind of a modern science. It's only been around for about 200 years. So they, they believe that they've only uncovered about 1% of all the archaeological sites. Now, this is all the evidence that we have. And there is so much. It's like the more that they dig, the more that they find that the Bible is accurate. So we have that on our side, Okay. Archaeology confirms the Bible historically. That's important. 
because there are other ancient books that claim to be books written by God or some God. One of the litmus tests for that is, is it accurate historically? The Book of Mormon is an example of that. No one outside of the LDS church believes the things inside the Book of Mormon actually happened. No one, no credible historian or archaeologist believes that there were these fantastic cities with all of this stuff that took place before it actually happened. I am serious what I'm telling you. I met a man at Costco. I don't know how we got to talking. We were talking about basketball and UNLV. And then he says, well, I'm actually a historian. I go, great. Well, that's awesome, man. I go, so are you, are you, um, are you part of any church or you, you know? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm part of the LDS church. And I went, really? And he goes, I know, I know. This is what he said. This actually happened. Uh, he said, he said, listen, Richard. He goes, I know that most of the stuff in the Book of Mormon actually didn't happen. But I just love the people. And I said, at least you're honest. And I don't mean that to slam the people. But I'm telling you, the Book of Mormon fails the history test. It fails the biology test. It fails many, many other tests. It is important that you understand your foundation. And there are many, many people who full-heartedly believe a religious system that has a cracked foundation. From the very beginning, you can always go back to the beginning of a belief system and say, how did it get here? How did Islam get here? How did Mormonism get here? How did Jehovah's Witnessism get here? Who were the leaders? What is their truth based on? And it will always be something beyond the Bible. Always. Always. There's a reason for that. Because their belief system contradicts what the Word of God says. So they create extra books, like the Book of Abraham, which the LDS Church believes in. And Joseph Smith created this based on some ancient scrolls that he said that he purchased from a traveling salesman. And he took these ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics, and he came up with the Book of Mormon until the actual scrolls that he said he purchased from someone else came out. And they put it to the test, to the, to the, to the, the, the scholars. And they said, we don't read anything about Abraham in here, but there's a lot in here about ancient uh, burial rites. Nothing. It did not pass the history test at all. So it's got to pass it. Historical statements are inseparable from doctrine. Uh, uh, confirmed history makes spiritual aspects believable. See, what you have in your hand agrees with history. History helps clarify, confirm, and illuminate the Bible. And what's the story of the Bible? God's love for mankind. It is the redemption story. So that is a mouthful. I'm going to give you three keys. Three keys. Okay. So what? So what? Now, all this information, you might ask yourself, so what? Who cares? That's a reasonable question. It really is. It's a good question. 
Because we want to ask, so what? When we read the Word of God, how does that apply to me? Well, first of all, the Bible is the key to knowing God. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, our theme verse, always, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The second is you will love others as you love yourself. So, if I'm going to know God, I've got to read His Word because His Word tells me His character. Jesus put it this way, it is the key to knowing Him. This book that you have is the key to knowing Him and it is the key to eternal life. This is eternal life, Jesus says, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And how do I know Him? Through His Word. Through the revelation that comes as the Holy Spirit opens my eyes. But see, you can read the Word of God and study it from a historical standpoint. You could take a class at a university, the Bible and culture, and you may not necessarily receive the truth of the Bible. And the Holy Spirit does this. It opens your eyes. All of a sudden, it's more than just words in a book. That's what happened to me. That's the best way I can describe it. I had a Bible. I was coming to church, and I was sort of getting it. And then one day, it's just, it's just like, oh, wow. Yeah, I had a come-to-Jesus moment. And how do I get to know him? Through his word. Why is it important to read the Bible on a regular basis? You want to know God? Read His Word. And then listen, right? So knowing Him, that's the key. Secondly, it's the key to eternal life. Thirdly, it's the key to living today. Because that's important. If it's not applicable today, well, then what good is it? It is absolutely applicable today. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 says this. I don't have the, uh, the quote up here for you, but, but this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night. And you know what the word meditate is? I love this. The word for meditate is, you know how a cow will chew the cud? Just, just chew, chew, chew. Just keep chewing, keep chewing, Right? That's, that's, that's the word. You know, I'm, not, I'm not sure that, you can check me on this. I'm not sure that anywhere in the Bible it says, read the Bible, read the, read the word. I, I think it says, meditate on it day and night. I think it says, hide, Lord, thy word have I hidden in my heart. That's not just reading. You see the same thing? I, and someone challenged me on this, and I don't know. They said, the Bible doesn't say read it. It says, meditate, chew the cud, just chew and chew and read. I love that. Uh, Joshua says, you, you meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Be careful. Do everything. Uh, uh, then he says, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. 
Do you want to make your way prosperous? I'm not talking about making a bunch of money. Don't get it twisted. That's an American theology, all right? No. Do you want to have success? Do you want to make your way prosperous? Didn't say it'd be easy. Then, then meditate on his word day and night. Hide his word in your heart. Know God. What's eternal life? Knowing the one true God and his son whom he has sent. Oh, that's how we know it. So uh, anyway, all of that, there's a, there's a 10-week seminar in about 40, 45 minutes, I don't know, something. Okay, there it is. So that's the basis for everything we're going to talk about over the next seven weeks. We're going to get back to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? Why does it say it? How does that relate? And so hopefully that's something that you can take with confidence. And you can know that the Word of God is true and that it's applicable So study, learn, grow, get to know in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, O God, that what we have is not just a book of history. It's not just a book of Proverbs. It's not just a a nice way to live. It's not just um, the words of the prophet Jesus. It is life. Your word is truth. Your word is life. God, your word sustains us. Jesus, you said that that man would not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus, you said that, that, that the word of God is more important than food because food can't nourish our soul, can't enrich our spirit, and it can't show us how to live. So, God, would you cause us to be students of your word? Would you cause us to to go next level in our meditation of your word and our application as well? We love you, God. We thank you for this opportunity to share with you. Would you watch over us in all aspects of our lives? In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Listen, before you go, um, I want you to keep in prayer. Uh, that uh, Bible study is starting right now over at West Care. Also, the fireworks booth, keep that in prayer. There's actually two, but uh, uh, keep those in prayer.